This is an ABC podcast. Just a warning before we start. This episode contains some intense stuff. Well, over for two, baby. In 2004, a witness in a police corruption trial, Terence Hodson and his wife were murdered in their home. It's understood they were both shot in the back of the head as they kneeled on the floor with their hands tied behind their backs. The informer was the key witness in the case against two police. Police described the brutal murder as a crime that struck at the heart of the justice system. Four years after the police informer Terry Hodson and his wife Christine were murdered, there were still too many suspects. The case was still unsolved. For Victoria Police, it was like a bad smell that wouldn't go away. It really goes to the heart of our justice system. It's one we take very, very seriously. It's one we are determined to solve. In 2008, Deputy Commissioner of Victoria Police, Simon Overland, announced a $1 million reward for information to catch those involved. They know who they are. They know that we know, and there's other people out there who surround them who also know. Simon Overland suspected that Terry Hodson might have been murdered by one of their own. Paul Dale, the sergeant, the three-striper, Nicola's old flame, the cop that Terry had planned to testify against. What Simon Overland didn't say at that press conference was that police had had a massive breakthrough. A high-profile witness was ready to name names. The jailed former gangland kingpin Carl Williams had alleged that Paul Dale paid him to recruit a hitman to kill Terry Hodson. Problem was, the word of a career criminal like Carl Williams doesn't count for all that much. He'd been known to lie before. A jury mightn't believe him, and he might have reasons to make things up. The police set up a task force to gather more evidence. It was called Task Force Petra, and eventually, the task force asked Nicola Gobbo to gather evidence for it. When Paul Dale found out that Carl Williams had pointed the finger at him, he called Nicola. He wanted some legal tips. He wanted to talk through his options with someone who knew the territory. So he asked her if she'd have coffee with him. Of course, he had no idea that Nicola had become a police informer. Victoria Police saw an opportunity. If Paul Dale had done anything wrong, when he met up with Nicola, he might slip up. He might admit something. Petra wanted Nicola to record the meeting. Now, why would Nicola agree to something like that? Well, maybe to put to bed some suspicions that had been circulating about her. Given some of the stuff you've heard about Nicola's relationship with Paul Dale and Carl Williams in earlier episodes, it's been alleged in the Royal Commission she might have been a conduit between them. In statements given to the Commission, four of her police handlers have even speculated whether guilt over the murders was the catalyst for her becoming a police informer in the first place. One wrote, I suspect 3838 holds some culpability. I've been unable to determine whether she committed a conscious act to assist in the murders of the Hodsons or acted recklessly with information that ultimately led to their murders. As you know, Nicola strenuously denies she had any advanced knowledge of or involvement in the Hodson murders. So when this meeting with Paul Dale came up, 
Nicola was keen to show that she had nothing to hide. My um, response was, fine, well, record it. You record it or I will. Any challenge to her reputation like this would just make her work harder to prove the police wrong. If you give me a challenge, I'll rise to it. But this will be the last time, because this job will be the one that brings the whole thing to an end. This is season two of Trace, The Informer. I'm Rachel Brown. When Nicola hit rock bottom, instead of easing up, Victoria Police doubled down. It wanted Nicola to morph from a secret informer to a witness. It wanted her to testify in court. It meant she'd add yet another role to her increasingly conflicted CV. She was at once all of a witness, an informer and a suspect. Um, I think you missed out on lawyer. But becoming a witness means opening yourself up to scrutiny, which for Nicola could mean exposure of a lot of secrets. This is episode six, Whatever It Takes. The meeting was set for a Sunday in December 2008. Nicola Gobbo and Paul Dale had agreed to meet at a cafe. Before she arrived, Nicola had been set up with a listening device by an investigator from Task Force Petra. As she made her way to the Avenue food store in Albert Park and sat down at an outside table, ready to tape Paul Dale, she had no idea that she was about to set in train a sequence of events that'd see her secret exposed to the world. The meeting started with small talk. They talked about the weather, work, whether they should sit in the sun or the shade. But then Paul Dale changed the subject to the Australian Crime Commission, the secretive and powerful National Law Enforcement Agency, the ACC for short. He doesn't actually say the words ACC. He scribbles that on a piece of paper. Nicola says he wrote the letters on the back page of a Sunday magazine lying on the coffee table. Nicola knew what he meant. If you're ordered to the ACC to answer questions, you're often not allowed to talk about it. It's like the first rule of Fight Club. You do not talk about Fight Club. But Dale had recently been quizzed in the ACC for six hours. It was there he learned Carl Williams had been talking to police. He told the Royal Commission he was anxious to get Nicola's take on it all. I wanted to run it past Nicola Gobbo from a defence barrister's point of view, what she thought and... As she said to me, they were starting to run trials at that stage using uncorroborated evidence of career criminals. Nicola says she was there as a friend, but Paul Dale says he thought he was talking to a lawyer. She was aware she was wearing a wire. She was aware she's been directed to gather as much information and evidence against me as she possibly can. I'm sitting there like a dead duck, talking to her, thinking I'm talking to a legal advisor. And every time it looked like I might be a bit hesitant in saying, talking about the ACC, she gives me that comfort again. It's okay, you can talk to a a lawyer. So he tells Nicola he thinks Carl has made a statement to police against him. So Nicola asks Paul Dale, accurate or not? Paul replies, quote, very accurate. He says to Nicola, very accurate to the point of every single time we met. He seems to have documented it. 
Paul would later point out that he hadn't seen the statement at this point. He didn't know exactly what was in it. What did seem accurate were some of the specific times and places where Carl said they'd met up. To Paul Dale, it seemed like Carl had kept diary notes. Nicola later told me she thought the chat was pretty innocuous. I just thought it was the normal ramblings of um, someone going round and round in circles and none of it meant, stood out as anything particularly significant. But later, the mood shifted. Police interpreted Dale's comment of very accurate as being significant. They interpreted it to mean that Carl Williams' entire statement was accurate. It was the police that went berserk about how incredible it was a couple of weeks later. Even the tape wasn't enough, though. The police wanted Nicola to sign a statement. They said it could mean the difference between Paul Dale being charged or not. This would mean Nicola Gobbo morphing from covert police informer to a very public witness. It would mean Paul Dale's defence team could request information about her information that might expose that she'd been working as a police informer. This could mean the end of Nicola's world, as she knew it. A lot of pressure was brought to bear on me in the 10 days or so between then and Christmas with pushing me to sign a statement. Testifying against Paul Dale would mean Nicola giving up her career and her life in Melbourne. So police started talking about incentives, like financial support, and how they'd keep her safe. And then once the statement got signed, well, all these promises were made and the rest is history. Turning an informer into a witness is a big no-no. That is an absolute that's a, a commandment. Former Piranha boss Gavin Ryan told the Royal Commission it's a golden rule of policing. You just don't do it. It just exposes them to danger depending on the information they're giving, the people they're mixing with, it could ultimately lead to their death. But pressure was bearing down on the handlers from Force Command. The man who'd ultimately decide Nicola's fate was the then Deputy Commissioner, Simon Overland. He told the Royal Commission the clincher was the recording. I was told she volunteered to wear the tape. She wore the tape, she had the conversation with Dale, and in that, Dale made incriminating remarks. Now, for me, that was, that was the turning point for me in terms of tipping me to the point where I said, right, well, I think we now need to call her as a witness. The Royal Commission heard Nicola didn't want to be a witness, but it was either that or she'd be dragged in front of some type of hearing anyway. Ms Gobbo asked if it if does not want to be a witness, will Ms Gobbo be forced to give evidence at some type of hearing? Answer yes, this caused Ms Gobbo to cry. It's worth noting that at this point, Nicola's police handlers were advising Force Command not to make her a witness. They'd made a vow to Nicola that she wouldn't be exposed. And Officer Black wrote up a whole report for Petra, warning that using Nicola as a police witness could spark a royal commission. Officer Black says none of the handler's fears seem to be swaying the Deputy Commissioner. Sandy White told the Commission that Simon Overland said, quote, corruption trumps everything, and that public confidence in the police force was more important than any compromise issues Nicola might face. Simon Overland told the Royal Commission that he doesn't remember saying that to Sandy White. (laughs) 
Over Christmas 2008, investigators took two further statements from Carl Williams and then Nicola in early January. Nicola Gobbo was now a witness in the Hodson murder case. And soon after, Paul Dale was charged with murder, along with the man accused of being the hired hitman. Police arrested the former drug squad officer Paul Dale at his service station in Wangaratta. They charged him with allegedly commissioning the murder of the police informant Terence Hodson in May 2004. The next month, Simon Overland was promoted to the top job in the force, Chief Commissioner. Now that Nicola Gobbo was set to be a witness, the police had to work out how to keep her safe. They wanted her to give up her life as a lawyer and enter the witness protection program. But she didn't want to give over control of her life to the police. And anyway, in the meantime, all she wanted was a holiday to Bali. The police didn't know what to do. They didn't want their star witness flying off to another country where anything could happen to her. She'd been getting threatening text messages again recently. Any number of people might want to harm her for all sorts of reasons. But the police had no powers to stop Nicola going to Bali. So they did the only thing they could do. They went with her. Two detectives accompanied Nicola Gobbo to Bali. Each morning they'd meet with her to talk about her plans for the day, to try to work out how to keep her safe. It was during this strange holiday life in Bali that police told Nicola they wanted to add another dangerous thing to her plate. They wanted her to be a witness in yet another case. The case of the murdered vampire. Shane Charters Abbott had been standing out the front of his reservoir home when he was ambushed. Two men fired a shot at the 28-year-old, hitting him in the neck. A male prostitute, Mr Charters Abbott had boasted of being a vampire and drank blood. This was a crazy case. This male prostitute, who described himself as a 200-year-old vampire, was murdered. But the important thing you need to know here is that a current and a former police officer were suspected of being accessories to the crime. So, another case potentially involving police corruption. Another case where Nicola was in contact with the allegedly dodgy former cop. So detectives thought they could use Nicola to fish for any evidence. Simon Overland was hell-bent on solving this one too. So a task force was set up to solve the vampire murder. It was called Task Force Briars. And on that task force was a cop who will be very familiar to those of you who've listened to the first season of Trace. I was working at the Briars um, task force and it would have been around August 2007. That's right. It's the straight-talking veteran detective with piercing blue eyes and a case-solving strike rate nearly as good as Don Bradman's batting average. It's Ron Idles. He's retired now, but his comments continue to be divisive because he calls it as he sees it. Sandy White told Ron that the Briars task force wanted to use Informer 3838. And then he went on to tell me who it was and he said something like, well, now that you know, uh, you're about the 132nd police officer in Victoria Police that knows she's a police informer. What were your first thoughts finding out that Nicola Gobbo was a police informer? I was shocked to think that a solicitor would have been registered as a police informer. Uh, I didn't realise the extent of her informing So you ask yourself the very first question, is registering a solicitor going to withstand scrutiny? No. 
Is it ethical? No. Is it lawful? Probably is. Uh, you have to be very... Is it fair? Probably not. And then quite clearly, many senior police knew of the existence and knew what was happening, but no one ever wanted to stop it. And, you know, I call it willful blindness. Bury your head in the sand. We're getting results, so no one uh, actually challenged it. If you walk past the behaviour, then you accept the behaviour. Well, Ron Eddles didn't walk past it. Soon he would call it out. When the police decided that Nicola should make a witness statement on the vampire murder, they wanted to make sure it was done right. So they sent Ron Eddles and one of his colleagues to Bali. So in May 2009, I went to Bali with um, Steve Waddell. I didn't know where I was going initially until a day or so before. And there was a an envelope which contained what I now call um, source contact sheets. So these contact sheets are the notes that the handlers made on intelligence Nicola gave them. I said to her, how do you remember the dates? And she said, well, I can't remember dates without reference to the source sheet. So I said to Steve Woodell, if we continue and we finish this, um, this is going to blow her out of the water. She would be identified as a registered informer. Is this because if it ever is submitted to a court, she'll be pressed or the well, cops will be pressed on how she knew those dates? The first question you would ask your witness, which is uh, Nicola, uh, how do you remember that date, specifically that date? Oh, Ron or Steve showed me a sheet. Well, we'll call for the production of that sheet. Mm. When you produce that sheet, it would say she's a registered police informer. So it was going to come out. So my view was let's not do the statement. Ron knew that if they pressed ahead with using Nicola as a witness, she'd be exposed as a police informer. So they called their bosses back in Melbourne, but they were told, don't come home without the statement. Mr Overland has directed that you uh, do the statement. So we continued on and um, did the statement over three days. Uh, But I always said, we're not going to get it signed because if we don't get it signed, it can't be used in a court case, right? He was trying to protect her and the force's reputation, I'm guessing. He also had a very telling conversation with her by the swimming pool during one of her smoko breaks. She was then, I guess, elaborating on uh, what she'd done uh, for Victoria Police. And she says, sometimes it upsets me when I see police um, taking all the glory for um, solving the underworld killings when in actual fact it's me. And then she said something and I said, oh, Surely you must have been um, careful about uh, privilege. And she said, well, you know what? Sandy White was always on to me and saying, you know, you can't breach privilege, you can't breach your client's privilege, you know, we don't want information that breaches uh, the privilege. And she said, I turned around and I said to him, Sandy, I crossed that line a long time ago. I've been working in the best interests of Victoria Police, not my client. So when we came back, I said, uh, we're not getting the statement signed. I'm telling you now, if you pursue this statement and get it signed in its current format with all these dates, this is going to cause a Royal Commission. Ron Eddles told the Royal Commission that he remembers saying to Nicola words to the effect of, you sign this and Victoria Police will burn you. They'll force you to be a witness. Once you've signed it, it's finished. It's all over. Nicola remembers these chats with Ron and Ron warning her about signing the statement and the potential perils of becoming a witness. One comment in particular stuck with her. 
I do recall the last conversation I had with him and his words to me were, do not trust Simon Overland. Don't, don't trust the police, walk away. And Simon Overland was the Chief Commissioner at the time? Yes, he was. Please state your full name. My full name is Simon James Overland. In 2019, when Simon Overland stepped into the witness box at the Royal Commission, he came under intense questioning. We are basically here because of your ego. What do you say about that? Um, no, I don't accept that. And it was all due, I suggest, to your naked ambition to become Chief Commissioner. That's just simply untrue. Such that you were prepared to put Gobbo at risk. Do you agree? Uh, no. It was Paul Dale's lawyer asking these questions, putting on quite a show. Paul Dale believes that, just like Nicola, he was the victim of Simon Overland's overwhelming desire to solve the Hodson murders. So how does Paul Dale then explain away his allegedly corrupt relationship with Carl Williams? When I interviewed him, I asked him just what he meant when he said Carl's statement was very accurate. Look, I hadn't seen a statement of Carl Williams. I'm only presuming at that stage that he's made one. It was just based on all the questioning that I had been put through at the Australian Crime Commission. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I did meet Carl on that occasion. You know, there was authorised occasions when I was, you know, met with Carl Williams. We had met at those locations, not all of them, and I denied a number of locations. He says he meant very accurate. As in, Carl Williams was very specific about locations. One very important one is Hillside, in Melbourne's northwestern suburbs. That's where police alleged he met with Williams, near a building site, 10 days before the Hodson murders, to organise the execution. Did the meeting which you're said to have met with Carl to organise the murders happen? No, it didn't. No. And understand this, I went through a Supreme Court trial where 12 jurors heard all that evidence the so-called evidence of the hillside meeting, and I was found not guilty. It didn't happen. Another location Carl Williams says they met was a noodle place in East Keelor. One big fat lie, says Paul Dale. The noodle box, noodle bar in Senaway Keelor, where I handed him some confidential documentations that identified a, another criminal that, you know, that he was out to get. Mm -hmm. right? So that was a charge. I went all the way to the Supreme Court yeah. to find out no noodle box or noodle bar exists in Senaway Keelor. They didn't even bother corroborating anything that he'd said in that statement. Unfortunately for Paul Dale, I have a personal connection to that very place. So yeah. I grew up in East Keelor, okay. around the corner from the Senaway shopping centre. Yeah. And every Friday um, I would go to that noodle box with my neighbour. Yeah. So it did exist. Well, no, it didn't, because we investigated. I didn't investigate it. Um, we identified that it didn't exist. And you know what the police did? But, Paul, I, di I used to go there for dinner every Friday. The police went out and they went to the local council. So it was investigated. And at the time that I allegedly had met him there, because I had a specific date, by the way, yeah. um, it didn't exist. I thought you'd said it had never existed. OK. I didn't believe it ever existed. You're the first time I've ever heard yes, that fine. it did. I'm glad you weren't on the jury then. <laughs> Paul Dale argues Carl Williams' statement implicating him in the Hodson murders was concocted, with the help of Victoria Police offering massive sweeteners. He says Victoria Police offered to settle a $750,000 tax debt that Carl's dad had 
and that it paid school fees for Carl's daughter. His children were given private school funding and private lessons and just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in inducements for a career criminal with every reason to lie makes that statement. The offer to pay Carl's dad's tax debt was reportedly withdrawn after legal advice. Victoria Police declined to answer our specific questions about what inducements were offered to Carl Williams. Is Victoria Police paying for convictions? Absolutely. The absolute pinnacle of an investigation is, is to solve a, a murder investigation. But if you gave me an open checkbook, if Chief Commissioner Simon Overland or, or Graham Ashton said, Paul, go into Barwon Prison and get as a witness, you know how easy that would be with an open checkbook? Just so easy. Paul Dale does have a point here. From when Carl first started talking to the cops to when he later signed his statement, his story changed. And where's Nicola in all this? Well, Paul Dale says she was also paid by police. I asked Nicola about this. Well, I thought I did. Were you paid to be an informant? Not one cent. In fact, it cost me, it has cost me hundreds of thousands. I should have also asked if Victoria Police paid her as a witness, which, in fact, it did. The Royal Commission was handed evidence showing that police paid Nicola $1,000 a week in living expenses, as she'd given up her job because of security threats. Victoria Police also covered accommodation, car hire and airfares. So police were offering payment to two witnesses in this case, Nicola also told me that she thinks Paul Dale's legal team was kept in the dark about all sorts of things. When he was charged with murder, his lawyers issued um, subpoenas asking for everything or anything about me. And my understanding is that some police officer gave sworn evidence that there was nothing, nothing relevant or nothing in existence to which he was entitled. That officer might have been kept in the dark too, Nicola says. Maybe in this case it was a way of keeping Nicola's big secret safe. But in its desire to convict Paul Dale, was Victoria Police pushing the limits of what was legal? Nicola's holiday in Bali, with a constant police escort, hadn't really helped her unwind. Back in Melbourne, her life couldn't go back to normal. She was still butting heads with police over the negotiations to get her into the witness protection program. And as Paul Dale's committal hearing inched closer to court, Nicola's health continued to deteriorate, and she ended up in hospital again. When one detective visited her there, he found that she was being treated for open lesions over her body which Nicola told him were caused by an extreme nervous reaction. But all this stress would be for nothing, because the case against Paul Dale was about to fall apart. On a Sunday night in Barwon Prison, inmates howled like dogs. The howling echoed through the cells. The next day, the man being taunted, the key police witness was murdered. One of Australia's most notorious criminals, Carl Williams, has been beaten to death in Victoria's most secure prison. 
Carl Williams was reading a newspaper when his cellmate Matthew Johnson crept up behind him and bashed him to death with the stem of an exercise bike. Johnson hated dogs, those who rat on their associates. And Johnson had learned Carl was doing just that and was cooperating with police. So that now makes two people who were going to testify against Paul Dale to be murdered. But an investigation would later clear Paul Dale of any involvement in Carl's murder. And as for Terry Hodson, well, with Carl dead, the murder charge against Paul Dale was dropped. Paul Dale says he wanted the Hodson murder case to go to trial, to clear his name. But when the case collapsed, he felt vindicated nonetheless. I've maintained my innocence from day one of these events. I'm totally innocent of the murder of Christine and Terence Hodson. After the circus around the prosecution of Paul Dale, Nicola had had enough. So in a spectacularly brazen move, she picked a very public fight with the police. This woman with so many secrets to hide thrust herself into the spotlight, claiming police had failed to protect her as a witness. Having had the courage and strength to agree to become a witness for Victoria Police, I was required to give up my home, my security, my sense of life as I knew it. She spoke exclusively to my colleague Josie Taylor. She said she was going to sue Victoria Police in a multi-million dollar compensation case. I was assured by Mr Overland that I would be compensated and that I would be left no worse off. I have become seriously ill as a result of the way in which I was forced to live during this period of time and my health has deteriorated as a result of constant stress and uncertainty. This was an audacious high wire act. Nicola was hoping to win this very public case against Victoria Police, all while keeping her role as an informer secret. And for a while it worked. She confidentially settled with police for a reported $2.88 million in late 2010. It was a victory of sorts. She could use the money to start a new life, away from informing, away from the police. But she'd left many cops bitter and many crims in jail. And pretty soon, there'd be a leak. The circus surrounding the prosecution of Paul Dale also left police bitter at their own colleagues. The main investigators looking into the Hodson murders weren't even told Nicola Gobbo was a police informer. Crucial information was kept from them. We were mushrooms, one told me, kept in the dark. They only learned about Nicola after their task force was shut down, after Carl Williams' murder, when three years of their hard work was put on ice. They started wondering whether Victoria Police simply shut down the task force to stop its relationship with Nicola becoming public. One former detective, Cam Davey, said in his statement, quote, I suspect that Victoria Police made the decision to disband the Petra task force in order to reduce the risk of this unethical relationship between Gobbo and Victoria Police being exposed. In doing so, those responsible for that decision effectively nobbled the Hodson murder investigation and denied the Hodson family any chance for justice.
Both task forces that wanted to use Nicola as a witness, Petra and Briars, went nowhere. Petra petered out, as you've just heard, and Briars, the $30 million decade-long investigation into the so-called vampire murder, resulted in zero convictions. On the steering committee for both task forces were three guys who'd been colleagues at the Australian Federal Police in the 80s. They all went on to top postings at Victoria Police. They were all involved in Nicola's management, and they all deny knowing she was informing on her own clients in a way that might be improper. Let's start with the boss from the time, Simon Overland. What do you say, Mr Overland, to the suggestion that you have knowingly and deliberately caused, implemented or allowed a system of dealing with this gobbo that was unlawful, inappropriate or unethical? No, that's, that, is, that is not true. That is not something that I would ever do. Simon Overland told the Royal Commission he doesn't remember seeing the report by Officer Black that warned against turning Nicola into a witness, the one that warned it could lead to a Royal Commission. I don't recall ever seeing that briefing note. Um, I don't believe I did see the briefing note, but I don't disagree, having now seen it, I don't disagree with the contents of the briefing note. But I didn't understand one of the concerns to be a suggestion that anything improper had happened and therefore needed to be concealed. In a statement given to the Commission, he says, quote, any suggestion that my conduct was corrupt, perverted the course of justice, was dishonest or facilitated any dishonesty in the court system or sought to cover up the use of Miss Gobbo is completely denied by me. Next, Graham Ashton. He'd follow Simon Overland into the top job, but back in those days he was at the Office of Police Integrity. It's supposed to be an independent police watchdog. Graham Ashton knew Nicola was a police informer, but he didn't see a problem with it. There wasn't any, any suggestions there were any integrity issues at play. Uh, no doubt, uh, in your moments pondering, you would have thought to yourself, Gee, I wish I had have asked that question. Oh, I don't think there was any, anything driving me at the time to want to probe into it. As for Victoria Police's own internal watchdog, the Ethical Standards Department, its then-boss, Luke Cornelius, said he was none the wiser. He says he only found out who 3838 was very late in the piece. You would have regarded it as extraordinary to use a barrister as a human source. Yes. Uh, it would be uh, fraught with risk, yes. You would have been obliged to do something about it? Well, I would have certainly asked some questions about it. You'd think he would question it. Luke Cornelius was also trained as a lawyer, as was Simon Overland. But the Royal Commission's heard other evidence that Luke Cornelius knew very early in the piece, but neither he nor Simon Overland sought legal advice. And it came back to bite them. During his long fight to exonerate himself, Paul Dale had requested a whole bunch of information from the force, some of it about Nicola Gobbo. If Victoria Police played by the rules, it'd have to hand over documents that might expose Nicola's secret role. So for the first time, the force went and asked its own lawyers to mull over its use of Nicola as an informer. So this is six years after it registered her as an informer, that it finally sought legal advice about whether this was okay. And its lawyers said, hmm, we might be in trouble here. Convictions might be at risk. According to some, this is when the arse covering started. In the Royal Commission, 
counsel for the police handlers, Jeff Chettle, said Force Command needed a scapegoat. Upper Rebel Command in 2012 saw a train coming, was going to run into Victoria Police, and steps were taken to distance themselves from what had occurred and blame it all on the SDU. A review into the SDU, that's the Source Development Unit, the unit that managed Nicola, sealed its fate. This review, the Comrie Report, found Nicola's police handlers deliberately underreported the risks of what they were doing so they could keep using her. On the basis of that review, senior figures in the force recommended that the entire unit be closed. One of those who recommended shutting the whole thing down was Jeff Pope. Quick refresher, he's the cop who registered Nicola as an informer in 1999 but didn't tell her. Then, she says, they slept together. The guy who set up the informer unit, Sandy White, has reflected on its unceremonious axing, and in a statement tendered to the Royal Commission, he speculated that it might have been for one of six reasons, including cost savings, saving the force from embarrassment, and this one. Quote, The Assistant Commissioner, Jeff Pope, was trying to ensure knowledge concerning his sexual relationship with Source 3838 would never be discovered or disclosed. Nicola Gobbo told the Royal Commission that she did have some doubts about her memory and couldn't recall any particular day or occasion when they'd had sex, but she maintained that it did happen. Jeff Pope has repeatedly denied this, in an affidavit in 2011 and more recently in the Royal Commission. What you said there is that there was no personal relationship and um, you, you denied a sexual relationship. I take it that's what, what you said and you maintained that. Absolutely. The Royal Commission heard that a newspaper journalist, Anthony Dowsley, put the allegation to Jeff Pope about this alleged fling with Nicola Gobbo. He denied that it happened. But then Jeff Pope allegedly dropped an even bigger bombshell, that Nicola Gobbo, then known as Witness F, was a police informer. Jeff Pope was pressed on this in the witness stand. Do you recall Dowsley contacting you about that allegation? Yes. Pope disclosed to him, Dowsley, that F was a registered human source. Is that accurate? No. So you didn't tell Mr Dowsley that she was a human source? No, I didn't. As you've heard, plenty of other people in the police force knew Nicola's secret. And one way or another, the journalist Anthony Dowsley had got wind of it. And in March 2014, Nicola's secret was about to be exposed. In terms of life-changing moments, Anthony Dowsley rang me and the phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. Did you think this was your death warrant? Um, It's a night that sticks in my mind, Um, Rachel. Not so much that I think it was my death warrant, but I was shocked isn't the right word. I I can't put it into words how frightened I was that this particular journalist not only said, I'm going to put this on the front page of a newspaper tomorrow, but the information I have is accurate because it comes from a Victorian police officer. In the next episode, Nicola starts a family and goes into hiding. But the people closest to her will be drawn into the fray. They have said to me that if I step foot into Melbourne, 
they would take steps to immediately remove the children from me. Season two of Trace, The Informer, is hosted by me, Rachel Brown. My reporting partner is Josie Taylor. Supervising producer for post-production is Tim Roxborough. Our producer is Yasmin Parry. Producer for the 7.30 interview was Chris Gillette. Camera, photos and sound on that interview by Greg Nelson. We get production support from Will Ockenden. Fact-checking and research by Alexander Tai. And our sound design and theme composition was done by Martin Peralta. Additional music by Seapelt, Land Systems, R Domain, Lost Few, Brendan Warner, Jacob Richards, Gary Franks, Edo and Arnold, and Martin Peralta. If you like Trace, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they land. <laughs>